This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back for uh, the final episode of Natalie's story. I'm excited to bring you this final part um, where Natalie and I continue to talk about her current life, um, her relationship and her family, as well as some of the resources available to women in the UK. Um, Natalie outlined some of those, which is just amazing to me. So welcome back to this episode. Again, this is Worth Recovery. (laughs) I should have started with that, but welcome back to Worth Recovery, another episode of the Worth Recovery podcast. My name's Amy. I'm your host here. I'm a sex addict. I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. So I'm excited to bring you this third and final episode of Natalie's story. Um, Just to kind of bridge the gap here, we were talking at the end of our episode two about Natalie's relationship uh, with her new boyfriend that she's been dating for a while. And we were just talking about how difficult, not difficult, how great it is and how hard it is to be in a relationship when you have that addictive past and how do you talk to your partner about it. Natalie was saying that um, it was very easy for her to talk to him about some things and challenging to talk about other things. Um, Also, it required him to kind of pick up some responsibility for some of the things going on in his life because she lives in this place of rigorous honesty and place of therapy and place where she's constantly trying to improve herself. And so it required him to bring up some things as well. We ended talking about her disclosure before coming to the um, U.S. where she and I met uh, to record this podcast. She talked to uh, Chris about her addiction and did a disclosure. So we're just picking up that piece as we start into this episode. Okay, without any further ado, here's Natalie. Yeah, I told him absolutely everything else and I was fine with it. And then I knew I was coming over here and there was a chance I was going to do a podcast. Um, I didn't. And I was wanted to be proud of what I was saying and I wanted to share it with one of the most important people in my life. So I told him and it was honestly the easiest thing to have told him out of everything that I had and he said he wasn't surprised given everything mm-hmm. that I told him um, we had a quite frank conversation about things that I would have said um, and but there was nothing I hadn't told him already which was amazing and it feels so liberating and wonderful to be able to live in that and have him love me anyway mm-hmm. um, it's obviously caused some food for thought for him and I know he won't mind me saying that has made him look at the culture a little bit differently Mm -hmm. and his behavior and some of his relationships because having to look at this kind of stuff like consent is really really important to me verbal consent um I still live with a good sobriety definition he's been unbelievably supportive and respectful and has actually taken a lot of enjoyment out of it himself as as a man it's quite empowering for Mm -hmm. him as well yeah I um if any of this is too much just let me know I I've been able to watch right from a distance a little bit (laughs) across the pond right like I've been able to watch you go through this dating process you know and I mean I remember I don't know maybe 18 months ago having a a conversation with you about like I don't have any friends I don't know anybody (laughs) I'm never going to be in a relationship and you just like kind of crying on the phone like this is never going to happen for me and like I don't, I don't know, you know, like I'm, I'm okay with that, but then I'm not really okay with that, you know, and like that whole thing, right? That yeah. a lot of us go through in recovery yeah. of like, what is this going to look like? What's How am I going like? to do this? You know? And so to be able to kind of watch this unfold and, you know, and dating and that whole thing has mm-hmm. been a delight for me Oh, thank you. because you have risen to the challenge like every time, you know, we have these calls and you're like, Oh, I remember particularly you're like, (laughs) I just love holding his hands. Like I never really got to do that before, Yeah, you know? And some of Joe's like little moments that 
you've been able to kind of reclaim. Talk about that for a little bit. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. So I remember the the second date we went on. It was an impromptu date. We'd gone out for dinner and then we went for a walk. He has a dog, so we went out for a walk. And I get in that little giddy girl flame inside that I never felt. Thinking, I want to hold his hand. I want to hold his hand. And this real strong urge to, like a glow inside, to want to mm-hmm. hold his hand. And it got to the end of the date and we'd, we'd spent like five hours together. And we got to the car. Um, he got to his car because I live in it there, so I was walking. And he gave me a hug and I was like, oh, oh. I don't know what to do. It was just so <laughs> awkward for me. And he could kind of sense it, but I I didn't know at the time, you know, it was so early on. I'd, I'd known him for a long time anyway. And then as I walked off, he pulled over and waved at me and I and he said he knew that I was really into it because when I turned around, I had this big Cheshire grin cat, like grin all over my face. <laughs> and that's when which I was Which like, you have right now. Which I have right now, yeah. And I, I was really stuck, like, do I hold hands? Is it going to go too far? Because every relationship I'd been in, I'd never got to do that. It, the relationships I had in weren't relationships. I was used. Mm-hmm. And it was pushed too far too soon. Right. They started with sex. I yeah. Mean, that's what your relationship started with. Yeah. They didn't start with holding hands or no. kissing even. And I didn't get a choice. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. am I okay with this? Does this feel good? Is this what I want? There was ne- never any of that. It was just... And it wasn't just from the men. I thought that that's what I had to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's been amazing. And then it was like, so then from the holding hands to the kissing, like, how does that even work? I haven't kissed anybody for years. Um, Not since, you know, been in recovery, like, oh my gosh. Um, So nervous. What if it's bad? What if I've forgotten how to do it? (laughs) All that kind of stuff. Um, And it was just, it was really nice. He'd asked, could he kiss me? And it was just so beautiful and respectful. And it, it gave me such an incredible sense of empowerment mm-hmm. um, and I can remember when I first disclosed to him about it all and just being even if even if he decided that it wasn't going anywhere even just those little moments those two moments of can I hold your hand can I kiss you were just such a gift that I'd mm-hmm. never had I didn't even get them in my first relationship as a teenager um, and I felt and I still do feel really blessed at the age of 40 <laughs> well 39 at the time to have got the opportunity to do that and be really conscious and really savour it and it's it's been wonderful yeah yeah that's I'm just so excited for you and I'm so excited to see where this goes I know that you've had some conflict yes and you've had to kind of work through that yourself and like what part of this is mine and what part of this is his and how do I figure that out and how do I make sense of that right but every single time you know at least the ones that I've know about right (laughs) you've been able to like really make it work like own your peace and come back together and and really make things work with him and I'm so I'm so excited for you oh thank you I'm really excited it's that conflict side of it that's been healing in itself like the level of conflict I have with him is not a level I ever had in a relationship they would just Mm -hmm. be boom it's over Mm -hmm. Um, it got out of control and I was really confused whereas these they're more like discussions they're hard and they're uncomfortable um you know I've got quite a level of recovery and going to group therapy where uncomfortable you get used to right for him it's not so he's not had that kind of level of therapy and it's hard to come in and find that ground from when I've had a lot of therapy to somebody that hasn't had that much Mm -hmm. um but we're working through it and feels amazing to go back in and have somebody sit opposite me and own their stuff and talk to me respectfully and actually work things out and see movement forward it feels it feels amazing I feel invested in I have a relationship that I really really want to be in Mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome it's amazing yeah okay so we've talked a lot we've talked about kind of what what brought you to recovery, mm-hmm. right? We've talked about kind of how, how you got into recovery. We've talked about your childhood and some of the, the setup and the trauma that you experienced that mm-hmm. that set you up for the, a sex addiction, right? Yeah. And an intimacy disorder, right? Mm-hmm. So what we haven't really talked about is what does recovery, what has recovery looked like for you? Yeah. Right? So like you're three <laughs> years sober, but like, and you know, we talked a little bit about some of the some of the things that have happened in the in the middle of that but mm-hmm. overall like 
tell us what, what does your recovery practice look like? What has it looked like? What does it look like now? What, you know, what, what does that look yeah. like? Um, well, when I came into recovery, I'd say I was really desperate for recovery. I needed it. Like hearing my story back, you'll probably realize that I needed it long before I got recovery. <laughs> Don't we all? Don't we all yes. need recovery long before <laughs> way, we way actually before. find it? Yeah. Um, and so I was at the stage where something really had to change. So when I went at it, I went all in. Um, at first, I was kind of trying to fit my life around it. Um, working full time, trying to be mum, trying to go to the meetings. I was getting a lot out of the meetings. Um, and I, then when I started to get into essay, I was given tangible stuff to do, which I love. I love lists, I love things to do, so it was amazing. Um, the first task was find a sponsor. So um, trying to find a female sponsor. So I got this um, list of all the women in essay, and I contacted them all, all 36 of them, by email. Or all the ones that spoke English, anyway. Right. Um, and I had a response from one out of those 36. One out of 36. Yeah. And that was super hard because mm -hmm. I was seeing men come into the room and get a sponsor straight away in in the room across the, from me and they barely get in. And they were doing their step ones and getting them done and, like, overtaking me. And I was still, like, oh, introducing myself. Now I don't have a sponsor. Um one of the guys in my group had a long sobriety, which was really good and quite respectful. And he, he guided me through some of the stuff, which was great. Like, and But he was very clear, I can't sponsor you because men sponsor men and women sponsor women. Um, but he kind of took me under his wing, which was great. And, um, and that's when I emailed you and said, I'm over in the UK, I can't get a sponsor. And you hooked me up with a sponsor. Yeah, sponsor. And I had a sponsor, I think, I can't honestly remember how long it was. Because I was pretty burnt out, but we we did my whole of my step one together, which was amazing. And then situations happened that um, she could no longer be my sponsor, and that's when I contacted you and asked you to be my sponsor, which I was super pleased that you said yes. Um, so we worked together. I think it's been three, three years, something like that, coming up yeah. three years. Let's see. So sixteen, yeah, probably a probably little, is probably right about three years. Yeah, and. Um, so my daily practice back then looked like I was doing the 20 mile march every day. And back on there, there was very, very basic things like um, get up in the morning, do my meditation, do my prayer, drink a liter of water a day, um, brush my teeth in the morning, brush my teeth in the evening, eat three meals a day. It was very basic self-care stuff. Um, and that was very apparent that I wasn't able to do that. And I think majority of that having not really done amount of work around that but looking on it is workaholism mm -hmm. just I was a workhorse and that just stepped in the way of everything but I kept persevering and eventually it stuck and then I was able to start transitioning some of them out um doing the step work which I actually really love doing the step work I love my little journals and all my different color pens um and as you know I you know if you give me a task I like to at it right I mean we're very similar that way right yeah. that we're both perfectionists yes and we both like you know are people pleasers so yes when we give when we're given a task we want to do it so yeah. that we both feel good about ourselves because we're perfectionists yeah. and then the other person likes us because we did the task yes. right but like I mean I've been with you when you haven't been able to do that right yeah. like you 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 know so at the beginning, you were able to kind of do some of those things. I was able to do that level. Mm -hmm. um, I, My last sponsor pointed out to me that I hated my job. That was quite hard to swallow. And I think it was when we were working together, I ch well, yeah, it would have been I changed my job. That uh, was really hard. You quit your job. Okay, so... <laughs> so you didn't really change jobs. You just said, like, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. An incident happened. I no longer felt I could work there. And so, peace out, I went. Mm -hmm. Um... And I, I think that was really brave, yeah. right? Like, a, I think a lot of women, particularly women, mm -hmm. like when you're in recovery, typically you're dealing with some poverty issues, yep. right? Some, some financial issues, mm -hmm. um, maybe because of a divorce and you're trying to take care of kids or whatever mm -hmm. the situation is and you're in a job and you don't like it or mm -hmm. something happens, you know, or you're get hit on or your boss, you know, wants to abuse you or whatever yeah. the deal is. And we feel trapped. 
Yeah. Right. And, and we can't really get out because we don't have, mm-hmm. you know, the resources that we need. And we have and, so much responsibility. Right. And so much responsibility. And so like, I remember you, when you were like, uh, I quit my job and I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> like good for you. Like good for you. And yeah. like, what's your plan? What are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was kind of at that point where I backed myself into the same scenario I'd always been in a patriarchal environment surrounded by men I was bringing in things that just wasn't appropriate Mm -hmm. like I was dealing with some big stuff that I was learning about myself learning about in recovery and I couldn't ignore them anymore and every time I brought them through it made things very difficult for everybody around me and I was no longer willing to be part of that situation and I felt Although I did have a choice, I wasn't willing to take my time, my body, and my effort to that place and damage people mm-hmm. with the denial. Um, so I I brought some, some pretty big things before I left. I whistle blew in the company. It went down, obviously, really badly. Um, but I'm still pleased with the way in which I did it. And Me too. Yeah. And it was totally scary leaving because I left a, a quite a well-paid job mm-hmm. for nothing. Like nothing. Mm-hmm. I didn't have. I couldn't go back to the career I used to have doing fitness. Um, my qualifications were really, really out of date. Um, and you were also on a waiting list for a surgery. Yep. Oh, yeah. I was on the waiting list for surgery. Everything was about to change. And um, I went to a local college and got onto a beauty therapy level three course because I'd done level two years back. It's the best thing I ever did to go back and like kind of relive my teenage years mm-hmm. that in college that college experience I never got to have with my friends and it was so healing um because of the pace of the level of work that I was going at really dropped down I was able to maintain it and really go at recovery um and it was a pleasure I had the best time and I'd never worked with women and I was just surrounded by women and I had the best year um even the silly little things like being able to go to the canteen with them and still sit around and eat dinner together them coming to visit me in hospital, come and give me pedicures outside of hospital. Uh, it was amazing. Well, and and I remember, like, I mean, one particular story comes to mind. Um, if this is too much, we can edit it out. But uh, I just remember, like, you were kind of like a big sister yeah. to a lot of these younger girls. Oh, yeah. Right? And being able to really guide them through some things. And there was, if I'm remembering right, like a maybe a security guard or something that was mm-hmm. like causing some problems because yeah. he was, when be, was he hitting on them? Flirtatious. Or like really, flirtatious. Like really inappropriate. And the girls were really like afraid of him and like yeah. didn't want to, you know, cause a problem or things like that. And you were able to step it do, up. <laughs> well, you were able to do what nobody did for you when you were yeah. that age. Right. Yeah. It was which, amazing. Which was like, no, this isn't, this isn't going to happen. Right. And be able to mm-hmm. kind of, so, do what you what's what you wished someone had done for you yeah, for sure. when you were in the army right yep. and and you were able to kind of do that for them yeah really able to advocate for them and then they would come to me with their problems with their boyfriends and I would I would say oh, I wouldn't take that and mm-hmm. I think young women really really needed to hear mm-hmm. an older woman say that's not right um yeah it was so healing for me yeah and a pure pleasure to be able to do that for them and a lot of them are still my friends now yeah which is amazing but I love the course so much (laughs) that I went back for another year and I did um aromatherapy and complementary therapies my tutor was phenomenal um it was when I started making the um the prosecutions Mm -hmm. and my mental health took a real nosedive and she was absolutely phenomenal phenomenal the girls were amazing um, the treatments that I had just really, really helped and supported it. Um, I was really looked after and really blessed. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And again, I'd, I'd say that year was even better. Mm-hmm. With it, like, us all just sitting together. We'd sit together around a table. We wouldn't have our phones. We were all chatting. We're still all friends now. It was such an awesome experience that I never got to have as a teenager. To have that. And there was women, there was one woman in the 60s all the way down to an 18-year-old. And all of us together, it was, it was just amazing. Yeah. Just different experiences, different cultures, different countries. Yeah, it was just the best year of my life, really. That. Yeah. Yeah. That's it was awesome. Amazing. So, 
let's talk about, you know, you joined SA. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, kind of your 12-step group that it you was. were doing, right? Yeah. And uh, you went through one sponsor, and then I became your sponsor for mm-hmm. a while, right? Um, are you still attending SA meetings? I am not. Um, okay, I stopped. talk to me about that. Um, I took the choice. To, oh, I chose to leave SA uh, just a few months back, mm-hmm. not long after I started dating, <laughs> funny enough, when it became very clear, well, I, I stepped back from the meeting anyway, um, probably about a year ago, when I was really struggling with it being a male-dominated environment, mm-hmm. that it was quite patriarchal, and it was bringing up a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. and it was triggering more than I was able to process when I was in, in the rooms. Um... So I chose to leave the group. So tell us about tea. <laughs> tea. <laughs> yes. Um, so when I got to the group, I was asked to be the tea person because everybody takes up service positions. So I was asked to take the tea position, which I didn't mind at first. Total people pleaser. And I got to make everybody cups of tea. And I felt like the real mother and her very, mm-hmm. very useful. And then... As things got on and all the other service positions changed and other people got more sobriety, they started taking on more responsible roles, I was left as the tea person. And then a year down the line, it happened again and I was left as the tea person. Um, And just before I chose to leave, I asked to switch out that position. And there was a few comments made about it, about other people, like, I've got to do this position for a while, what's your problem, all that kind of stuff. And I just felt that I was expected to make the tea because I was the woman. And one of the things I found particularly triggering was that the officer in the army had used me as his, what he called, brew bitch. And he would shout, brew bitch. And I would have to run to his office, get his cup of tea. And that's how he groomed, one of the ways in which he groomed me. So I found it particularly difficult. Um, Yeah, so that was a bit of a struggle. And it was at the point where I was like, really waking up to the messages that women had had mm-hmm. in society because I'd also I've obviously been conditioned to be a miso- uh, misogynist myself because I've been in that environment I'd taken on a lot of the messages that the men in the army had given so I fitted right in and never noticed for a long time and then when I started bringing other things that I didn't think were quite working as efficiently in the group for the health of the group it was always knocked back and then it was things um, like when I'd speak They'd start looking out the window, or if I was running the meeting, they'd come in the room a little bit later. It was just little small things that if I was to hold them accountable for it, it's not really happening. But all of them adding up together, I felt quite disrespected as a woman, and I felt that that wasn't the place for me to heal, because I was then in the position of trying to teach them how to treat women, and that's not what I was there for. Mm -hmm. And I'd had, prior to that as well, an email from a guy in the group um, who had said that he was worried that I was going to relapse that um, the emergency procedure is to go to a park sit next to somebody I don't know and tell them my whole story um, and that would prevent me from being sober and that he really wanted me to do it because he really benefits from having me in the group to help him heal um, so he was worried about your sobriety. He was worried about my sobriety. Right. And wanted me to tell like, a perfect stranger in a park right. that like, I was a sex addict. Like he has any insight into your sobriety. Yeah. Right. Because he and, was not a somebody that I would call. Right. He wasn't like a support person or anything. No. Nope. But he needed you in the group. So you needed to go to a park yeah. and tell a perfect stranger your entire story. Yes. And did you do that? No. <laughs> were you, um, were, did you feel like you were on the edge of relapsing? No, not no. at all. I mean, I was having some struggles, um, but they were emotional struggles and never in my mind did it cross that I needed to, really, I knew that was not the option. Mm-hmm. Um, I was insulted by A, he expected me to go into a park to a stranger and disclose that kind right, of cause stuff. Right, because that's super safe for yeah. a woman to go to a park and say, oh, P.S., I'm a sex addict. Let me, <laughs> let me tell you all these things about all these people that have raped me. And, like, all the different ways I act out. Because yeah. that's safe for a woman. And then, like, to dump that out on a perfect stranger? Oh, how yeah. Totally ridiculous. It's totally inappropriate. Like, yeah. that would traumatize somebody. Right. Um, I could have been attacked. I could have been raped. You could have been. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Like, I was just shocked. And then to hear, I need you to do this. 
so that I can carry on using you to heal. And I was like, hang on, all in my addiction, I've been used by men for whatever they want. And now I'm in recovery. I've still got to be used by men because it's good for them. What about me? Where am I in this? And that's how it's, it has felt to me in recovery. Um, the, the men only really like having the women there so that they can heal to the next level. And um, to be quite frank, that enraged some more of my anger. <laughs> and, and, was, and what happened to this man? He relapsed. Mm-hmm. How, how quickly? Within a couple of weeks. Of did that. he go to the park? He did not. He actually said it's something he's never done himself. But, and he did come back and say, maybe I should have done it. Yeah. But I wouldn't advise that a man does that either. No, no. <laughs> I, wouldn't have, have I would not advise anybody to do that. I mean, that's just not safe. No, you know, it's, like, and it's not fair on the general public. No, it's super let's dangerous. Un- let's unleash all the sex addicts on the world in the general public. Let's all go to parks and tell random people our story. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, uh-uh. it's the craziest thing I've heard for a long yeah, time. For sure, that is not safe. Yeah, that is not safe. Yeah, so I left the group after that, and it was hard because some of them men had been in my recovery support group for a long time, and. I just couldn't be part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was asked by one of them after Rung and said that they could see some of the issues that I'd brought to conscience meeting um, and asked would I come back to a conscience meeting and, and bring them up again. <laughs> I was a bit like, right, what? Like, you want me to come in and be your mummy? <laughs> it's just a bit of a shock. Um, and I haven't heard it's, from them it's, since. It's amazing to me that, like... <laughs> what men say like yeah. that they don't you know and i'm i mean i'm not a man hater or anything like that i i have found more men in the world like chris mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like the man that you're dating than others yeah. like like the men the world is full of men like that yeah i mean my experience up until 38 was misogynist mm-hmm. i think i'd been exposed to the extreme end um, been in the army. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've been exposed to it at the extreme end. So it's been quite hard to try and find the f- open-minded feminist, pro-feminist kind of guys. But I am finding more and more of them. And quite surprisingly, I don't have any guys in my life that are not anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, I get the odd comment. Yeah. But when I bring it up, they're willing to look at it. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I left So you the left meeting. that group... And then... Tuck up the women's 4am meeting. Well, it's not 4am for me. For you. No, it's not 4am for me. <laughs> it's 4am for me. Yeah. Um, and I had to set my alarm and get up for that, which was hard. Mm-hmm. Because um, it's 4am. Right. So it's a, it was an SA phone meeting, oh, right? all women's phone were, meeting. All women's phone mm-hmm. meeting that you were yeah. calling into for a while. And I was still doing my sponsor work with you. Um, through that phone meeting, I managed to meet another lady. Mm-hmm. We started connecting and speaking on a weekly basis. And she became, and, and still is, my main support, really, in mm-hmm. SA. Um, excuse me. Uh, so that carried on for a while. And then I thought, right, things have got to change up here. So I decided... Right, because there's lots of people in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I can't keep getting up at 4am. Um, so I tried to do a women's only phone meeting in the UK and I had another lady who did commit every week to it and it was just super hard to get people to turn up regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there's such a need for it and people would come in and then they wouldn't and it was so hard to connect with other women. Um, and I felt disappointed. Mm -hmm. I really did come in with big aspirations like this is going to be it. Um, even in, when I was in the essay meeting, every woman that walked through the door I thought was going to be my new best friend for a while. And then to have the disappointment of her not coming back. Um, and to, to sit in that, like, what's so wrong with me? Like, why am I this disgusting one woman to carry that shame? And then later on in recovery, to have that happen so many times when the next woman turned up, to not be that overexcited, thrilled person and just go with it, that, that was hard too. Um, and the lady off the phone meeting, you know, we were connecting a little bit, but it wasn't, our recoveries were in different stages by this point. And I was trying to sponsor a little bit as well. And I just felt none of this is really working for me anymore. Um, 
And so that's when I started going to ACOA, mm-hmm. ACA, and I had to so switch up a, my recovery. Right, so adult children of alcoholics or dysfunctional families, Yeah. right? So I, I went to that because there was phone meetings on, like, every hour. You can phone into America every hour, which is amazing. Skype meetings in the UK, um, which was fantastic. And I also started doing a webinar on a Monday evening with... Um, John Taylor, one of the other therapists from over here off the Thanks for Sharing podcast, he did a webinar called Rocking Relationships in Recovery. And I'd say that was one of my main supports because it, it was an interactive webinar so mm-hmm. I could get to ask questions. And I loved it. And I learned so much that is helping me in my relationship with Chris now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what recovery looked like for a while for right. me. As well as attending all the other groups. Right. And going to therapy once a week and doing our sponsor calls doing my reach out calls um yeah still quite a lot and my step work mm-hmm. and my journaling right I mean you're the kind of woman who has binders of like all of the different worksheets you do right yeah. and all the different things that you do right yeah right you know I I really can relate to your disappointment mm-hmm. of like you know women come and go and come and go and like you know I'm I'm here and I I want consistency and I want these things right mm-hmm. and and then as I'm thinking about that and reflecting on that like from my own story and you even listening to your story tonight right mm-hmm. of all of the different things right like you had this gradual descent down to this place where you needed recovery mm-hmm. and in that you were in and out in and out in and out in and yeah. out right I went to a little bit of therapy then I left a little bit of therapy then I came back and then I did yeah. this and then I left and then I did this and then I came back right and then by the but by the time you, you know, you got here, you made a commitment and you were all in, right? Yeah. I have no choice. Right. I have to remember that a lot of times because I watch these women come in mm-hmm. and out and in and out and in and out. And I remember, oh yeah, that was me. I did that. Was that. Me. I did that. So I I've did, heard it I called, did that for a long time, right? I've heard it called the Tarzan approach to recovery, swinging in and out. <laughs> the Tarzan approach. That's awesome. <laughs> I know. So in and out, in and out, in and right? Out. Yeah. But there does come a point where you got to be all in. Yeah. Right? If you like, want to change. If you want, if you really want change, mm-hmm. if you really want your life to be different, you have to be all in. Yeah. I think my all in moment, I was pretty committed. The test, the real test for that, am I all in, was that time with my therapist, Nick. Mm. When that relationship wasn't going to plan, that was the crossroad. Mm-hmm. What am I doing now? And I'd come too far. I wasn't going back. My life had changed. It wasn't great. I wasn't in a good place, but it would change from the better. I wasn't living like I was before, and I'm determined I'm going for recovery, no matter mm-hmm. the cost. Yeah. And that's how I choose to live today. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all have those moments, right, of, like, yeah. being all in. You know, and, and usually it's a tragic moment, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I would say, like, as you were saying that, I'd say for me, like, the moment... I realized I was all in was when I set my first boundary with my mom and she didn't like, she cried and didn't speak to me for like a week. Right. And there's no going back. And it was like this little tiny boundary. Right. Mm -hmm. But for her, it was massive. And, and then I realized, um, I can't go back. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there's no, there's no going back from this. You know, I've got whatever comes at me now. I've just got to ride it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's those moments that we have are, mm-hmm. are, are, are crossroads, right? Like yeah. of, I mean, I could go back. I could call my mom and say like, just kidding. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, but I knew that, I knew that that would require me to go into a level of denial, right? Like yeah, there's a cost where there's a cost. And it got to that point where the cost was my mental health. Mm-hmm. I could no longer not feel that uncomfortability Mm -hmm. and that uncomfortability will quickly spiral into such low self-worth is I shouldn't really be on the planet it never Mm -hmm. got to the point where I wanted to kill myself like suicide but it got to the point where my worthlessness was so much that I didn't think anybody wanted me in the world Mm -hmm. um and I couldn't go back to that Mm -hmm. I had to keep picking myself up and doing the right thing to save to save my life Mm -hmm. my mental health yeah yeah I knew for me like if I was going to go back I was like going back my going back to my addiction too. Mm-hmm. Right? Eventually it would have to. Right. Like I couldn't I couldn't just take yeah. a step back and say, just kidding, no more boundaries, right? Like yeah. I'd have to go all the way back to mm-hmm. like 
I need to fully act out 100%, you know? Because it feels to me when I, if I go back, just that little step, and this is the bit I find really hard to articulate a lot of time, especially to people who know me, it's not really a choice. Like, it's so physical in my body, it feels like a hot poker in all mm. of my limbs. Um, the anxiety, it, it must be anxiety, but the level gets so high, it's like I am not comfortable in my own skin, it actually hurts, like, it feels like it's burning, because I'm making a conscious choice to go against everything my inner being is telling me, and that comes at a cost, and I've got no way of numbing that burn out anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't want to? No, I don't want to, it's not good for my health. Great, right, right. yeah. 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 I do agree. I think that the cost of like that step going backwards mm-hmm. is is your mental health. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um and it can happen quite rapidly. Um mm. I recognize it whereas before I probably wouldn't have recognized it. I would have had many other behaviors that would prevented that low mental health mm. coming in. Um but these days I don't have them. So it happens quite quickly. And it can get very uncomfortable quickly and then create a lot of unmanageability in my life mm-hmm. yeah i mean right especially as a mother yeah because right. it's not just me it impacts right me. right and and like you said though even though you haven't felt suicidal or yeah. things like that like it, it does come th- in that feeling of like i just shouldn't exist or yeah. you know i'm causing more problems than i mm-hmm. am like helping anybody yeah. or people don't really want me around and then it's like a self-fulfilling thing where because um, that's starting slowing down my capacity to do life has got to think that so maybe not it might start as not being able to wash the pots as quick or do the washing as, and then everything builds up and builds up and builds up and then I look see I'm failing I'm failing mm. at everything I can't do anything when really it's been incremental but I haven't noticed it because my capacity is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller the bandwidth right to do things gets smaller right and yeah. so what what do you do what, what's one of your, you know, what are, what's one of the things that you've done? One of the things I had to accept and do was to take medication, go to the doctors and take medication. And that was within the last year. And that was a really hard choice. I struggled. Um, I'd been given Prozac, like I said, when I when it was seen as a, like, stuff me off with Prozac, a really high dosage, and post me off out mm-hmm. to cover up some of the problems. Mm-hmm. Um, of other people's problems, you know. Right, they out. weren't your problems. They weren't my problems. But the problem, you know, get rid of me and it all goes away. Um, so that was when I take a medication. I didn't want to go on it again. I didn't didn't want to feel like that again. Um, it wasn't a positive response. I didn't um, didn't have a phased. I'd moved camp, so I didn't even have another doctor. I was just so I just decided to stop it. Um, but thankfully, I'd had some other recovery friends that had had a really positive experience and one of them happened to be a doctor herself and she said have you thought about this and then I was able to ask one of my other recovery friends and she gave me a real positive experience and I think she um she sent me a podcast the thanks for sharing about getting the right level of support Mm -hmm. and so I went to the doctors explained the issue and she prescribed me antidepressants um which was nerve-wracking I did a lot of research into what it's going to do to me, is it going to work? Because um, I like research anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and all the side effects. And um, I took it. And it was hard at first. It made things a little bit worse. Like I was having palpitations and um, was a bit of a struggle, which seemed a bit weird. But then after a week, it was getting a bit better. And then they upped my dose because she did it really incrementally. She was, the doctor was very, very good. And I went back to her and I was saying I was having these things. She said, well, it could be your body fighting the the relaxation response of which it was and then on the second week checkup and they really kicked in they started to work and she said so how are you feeling now about the whole I've got depression I have not and I was like okay so you were right (laughs) and she's like sometimes you know people just need help and the doctor was so amazing which was been a bit of a doctor phobic from my experiences in the army like nobody went sick you just never admitted you were ill it was seen as weak lame or lazy um, it was a real positive experience and now I go and visit her she has me visit her every month to get my repeat prescription and it's a real positive thing and we changed my dosage I've decided to stay on it until all the prosecution's finished because mm-hmm. um, like i got to show up as a mum I want to be consistent I don't want to I don't want to let any of that drop anymore we've got some good good solid traction in our family stability 
Um, and it's starting to look at maybe I need to stay on it forever, who knows? Um, and that's okay. Uh, just even speaking through my full story today, given everything that's happened to me, the, the amount of trauma, it's not really that big of a deal to stay on medication if I needed to. Yeah. Yeah, so it's been a real positive experience, not just the actual medication, but the whole caring system around it, having the doctor's support, it's been very, very healing for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, medication can be an amazing tool. Oh, right. It helps so much. Yeah, for sure. And can, whether it's temporary, whether mm -hmm. it's long term, whether it's forever. Yeah. Just like, I know I've had to kind of let go of that, like, outcome, right? Like, mm -hmm. I can't control that. And, and if I, I need to do what I need to do to stay functional. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that was it. And, there's a lot of things it hasn't fixed. Like my bandwidth is very, very low at the moment because the, the trauma work, the grief, I'm having EMDR. There's some things that were part of my recovery life into podcasts quite regularly, reading very much, you know, reading often. Um, in the, the depth of the like psychology books I was reading, I can't do that in, at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, no amount of medication is going to fix that. Uh, it, it's just accepting the phase at where I'm at. And sitting in that and allowing the process to take itself but also knowing that I can have that medical support as well that I don't mm -hmm. have to suffer and it's not me being weak which is how I used to perceive it it's me taking the help that's out there and it doesn't mean I'm going to become addicted right as long as I check it in and make sure I'm taking the right dosage and I'm getting the right level of help and yeah so it's been a real positive experience Good, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so. So, yeah, so leave an essay. Um, so I'd done the women's group phone meeting, that didn't work out. It was getting to the point where I was really starting to advocate for women, um, asking for women's meetings, and I was met with not just from the men, but a lot of the women, um, how it shouldn't be. There's breaking traditions, um, women should be in with the men, uh, and I was just really, really struggling with that. Um, because it wasn't working. It's just not working. The women are just not coming in and staying in. Um, well, right. Why would you? I mean, you show yeah. up, you already feel damaged, and then you show up and the whole room is men, right? Yeah. And who have... I mean, I, I don't know a single woman in SA, or mm -hmm. in any sex addiction, not just SA, S-L-A-A, S-A-A, whatever, any S-fellowship, mm -hmm. I don't know a single woman who was not... A victim of sex of sex abuse first. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't know a single one. No, and no. So, one. you know, you start there, and and then you know through trauma repetition and a whole lot of other mm -hmm. things, you end up being the one that's perpetrating too, right? Yeah. And so then you come into recovery, but then you walk into a room mm -hmm. to try to find help, and it's full of people who perpetrated on you. Yeah. And so. It's really difficult and to still, stay around. Some of it was a lot like my experiences in the army. The men in very early recovery would be hitting on, like, mm -hmm. not overtly, but their covert ways. I could feel it. And then stuck with this, but the long-term sober men don't want to hang around with a woman that's early in sobriety. You know, they're married. Mm -hmm. They've got to be respectful to their wives or look after their own sobriety. Mm -hmm. So kind of stuck in this thing where I'm a newbie woman into this group. The newbie men are going to hit on me. Um, and which I didn't even realise at first, you know, I thought I was going to go to, like, the first convention I went to, I thought everybody was going to be, like, really working programme. Right. But it wasn't like that. Um, the, the first convention I went to happened to be a mixed SA and SNON, so the wives were there. These women were across the way looking at me like I was the the woman that their husbands acted the enemy, out on. right. Um, had one woman come over, we had to hold hands at one point, she came right in next to me and dig her nails and, and holding my hand like squeezing it because she saw me as the enemy um that was probably one of my low points of mm -hmm. really having to sit I just cried the whole of that meeting because I was so overwhelmed um I've been scowled at amongst these women mm -hmm. um I mean thankfully there was a guy and his wife that were both there and they were brilliant they really just she just came and spoke to me like I was one of her friends and they've remained friends um he's no longer in the program either but they are still part of my recovery Mm -hmm. circle which is amazing um 
But yeah, on a whole, it felt quite is a male-dominated environment, very patriarchal male-dominated environment, and it became really uncomfortable. And I think the only real reason why I was able to go into that room and stick into that room was because I was one of them women that turned up and didn't realise she'd been raped. And I was so used to being around men, I stuck at it because mm-hmm. um, it was normal. I wasn't used to being around women. Um, but as that slowly changed, I didn't want to be around men and I felt unsafe to be around men. Mm-hmm. As I think we were, well, we were working together at that time mm-hmm. and I was just really struggling feeling safe around men. Um, and that was a vital part of my recovery. And then to have people try and convince me and other women trying to convince me that I should be still going, it was really hard to hear because I needed to sit in that anger towards men and mm-hmm. really own it so I could set some boundaries mm-hmm. and take my own identity back and my own body back. Right. Yeah. Right. And and you didn't sit there forever. No. 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 <laughs> I didn't. It's not like you're a male hater at all. No. No. No, there's still, I mean, there's still flickers that come up. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a whole, I process it. Um, it came out in society for a while. Everywhere I went, if I heard a man say a racist comment, I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I had to defend and say, that's disgusting. That's racist. I can't believe that you've said that. But that phase has passed, um, which I'm grateful for. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I get to channel it. I get to channel my power and my energy into a much helpful, uh, much more healthy situations mm-hmm. and opportunities now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I... Essay wasn't really working. Right. It was, worked for a time. It, oh, and there are absolute no regrets. I needed that. I needed that stringent sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing... There's, well, there's so many things from, recover, from working with the guys that I really helped... They show me how to shut men down because I was getting hit on all the time. I didn't realise that my people-pleasing body language and the flirtation that I had was just coming out all over the place. I was getting hit on all the time and couldn't understand why. Like, why is this happening? Those men taught me how to shut my body language down. They They taught me what to look for in other men hitting on me and how to stop that and how to unhook them. And that was amazing. Mm -hmm. They were so grateful. They taught me to respect myself that I didn't have to take that. Um, yeah, I'm really, really grateful for yeah. the lessons I had. I felt safe. Like, to go to a sex addict addiction room week in, week in, week in, week in, week out with these guys, I felt really safe. And then I learned that when the new people came in, and they were quite predatory, some of them were predatory when they first came in, I got to learn to put boundaries in with the guys safe. And then there was one meeting where a guy had come in and he kept making a beeline for me, and when... I put a boundary with him. He raged and kicked a chair over. Um, and the men stood up and said, no, you don't get to speak to her like that. Can you leave? And that was amazing to have. Because mm-hmm. the, they weren't what, what I would describe as overbloker men. They mm-hmm. weren't these guys trying to be all macho. So to have these gentlemen stand up and say, that's not acceptable. You don't get to treat her like that. Please leave. was really, really healing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that, that journey mm-hmm. of finding the right fellowship, right? It's a it's an evolution, right? Mm-hmm. Like you find what you need at the moment. And then yeah. sometimes we stay too long and, and we don't realize like, oh, okay, there's other programs out there. Or there's other things that meet the needs that I have now, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than what I had then. As we grow in recovery, our needs change. Yeah. And the needs that we have for support and for groups and things like that change and we have to be open for that we have to be willing to look at that and say like I know you were really afraid to tell me for a while yeah that you I kept like, it to myself yeah that you wanted to make a change and that you wanted to do yeah. you know to do those things and I mean with all the women I work with like I tell them to evaluate at least every six months mm-hmm. right like what is this working for me you know am I getting what I need out of this group am I getting at what I need out of my sobriety definition right am Mm -hmm. I getting what I need out of these things and to really evaluate that and and make a change if if necessary Mm -hmm. what I found really hard it brings up a level of grief that acceptance of these things have got to change I you know I went into that room I thought I'd be there forever Mm -hmm. to say goodbye to these people is hard um at the time I couldn't really do that I wasn't able to express some of the gratitude to the people 
um, just because my head wasn't in the space and it wouldn't have come out the way it did. Um, but it's starting to learn that I can go back and do that another time if I really wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, some friendships as well. I remember we, we went, the next, it wasn't long after then I was having to reevaluate my friendships, what's working and what's not. And there's a part of me that had so much change and so much chaos and up and down. And I'd worked so hard to get what I wanted that to sit in that that's not working was super sad. And not only is it not working, but I don't know what to go to next. Like I'm gonna have right. to go there's to a fear of like, oh. what am I going to do next? Like if yeah. this isn't working, what is going to work, right? What is going to work and the unknown and yeah, the grief. I, I'd love everybody to grow at the same pace so we could all stay together in one happy <laughs> family forever. And accepting that and having to evaluate it is, it brings up some serious mm-hmm. grief. Um, and I did it. And even speaking about it now, it's bringing up a little bit of like, oh, I miss those guys sometimes. Mm-hmm. Some of them. Um, and yeah, and then the choice to leave SA. Ah. Uh, I kind of had the flicker along before I'd had the conversation with you that it wasn't working. Um, part of it was our relationship. I'd really valued it so much and I was growing so much with you that the thought of not having you in my life was like, oh, because you're the first person that came in and offered me stability no matter what. And I know we'd had not very often, but some difficult conversations mm-hmm. and having somebody have that and still want me around was a first. Um and you're the first person that offered me unconditional acceptance and I was scared to have lost that and that was really hard so it was difficult for me to admit it to myself and um, I love a bit of denial now and again so I was trying to stuff it in um, who doesn't love a little bit of denial right <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't I'm not able to linger for long and I can't lie to myself as much as I used to um, dang it I know damn it but I um I admitted it, and I remember you saying it doesn't come as a surprise to you, and you thought it wouldn't be long, and to start looking at other options because you don't think it's going to be that long. And I was like, oh, and within a couple of weeks, I'd made the decision to leave. Um, I'd already, thankfully, started a face-to-face face-to-face ACA meeting in my local town along with another guy, so I had some kind of level of support. And what I find amazing about the ACA program is it really does address those underneath the addiction Mm -hmm. issues of what we didn't get Mm -hmm. what we did get what we definitely shouldn't have had (laughs) (laughs) um those real childhood wounds and pains it's a safe place to go and get that and i'm finding with that program people come in with a real level of honesty um which i really need right now Mm um yeah and then I wasn't really having much in the way of support of other females in SA, so that wasn't a a big surprise because a lot of the women that I connected with had left anyway, left the programme and were doing different things or whatever. Um, but yeah, it was... I'm dating this guy for the first time and I'm having to leave something behind that's my rock and then step into the unknown of, oh, I haven't got this boundary. What does sobriety look like for me now? And that has been... Um, some parts have been really easy and other parts it's been a challenge too Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and to stay sober throughout it right like the thing about sex addiction and food addiction Mm -hmm. and spending addictions right like all these what we call behavioral addictions Mm -hmm. right is that you can't just really stop doing it like you can't stop eating Right, like you, you can't. Well, that's stop. a whole other addiction. I know, you can't. That's a, right. That's a whole other like problem. You can't stop spending money. Like mm-hmm. you have to buy groceries. You have to pay mm-hmm. for your car. You, right? Like you can't stop having sex. Mm-hmm. Like, sex is a drive and a need that we have. Yeah. You know, and are we able to turn it off for a period of time? Yeah, we yeah. are. Is staying there? I mean, are we able to control it? Yes, we can because we're humans like that's part Mm -hmm. of the deal is we can control those things yeah but if we stay turned off for so long Mm -hmm. then we become sexually anorexic right and that's not really a healthy place to be too and and finding that balance is messy very i'd say that's one of my current struggles um Mm -hmm. that i'm not in touch at all with my sexual drive that i don't think i ever was 
but before sex was about what other people wanted and I was like gratification on demand I just gave to people so I never got in touch with what was authentic to me and I've spent then so long shutting it down because prior to addiction prior to the raping started I'd shut it down anyway so I've never really found that that rhythm and sometimes um well I, I don't feel it a lot of the time which I know isn't healthy or normal and then having to navigate that is uh, scary um it's sad it's really sad to be up 40 and think I didn't get to experience that this is a part of my body that's denied mm -hmm. to me um in a relationship like that attraction the fear of am I going to click over into sex addiction am I going to go too far uh the different stages in my physical intimacy relationship every time maybe we've kissed a bit more passionately I've gone a little bit further it's brought up a lot of trauma mm -hmm. um I, that I didn't expect um I luckily had another friend who'd gone through that and um she was a lot younger than me but she's been my guider through this which is I love her she's amazing and it's oh man that's still something on my daily struggle the flashbacks the flashbacks that I didn't know were there right um the bodily flashbacks um one of the big things that I never even realized up until oh, just about a month ago was the body shame that I'd internalized from hearing mm -hmm. other guys speak that 16 year old girl hearing those men speak that locker room talk really derogatory about women how much of that I picked up and how ashamed of my body and frightened I was of sharing it with anybody like just being in their close space and having them hug me all the time worrying that they'd smell me sweaty or something mm -hmm. that was that was really hard um I'd say I'm working on a little bit of that and processing it through uh just the the change in my body shape from mm -hmm. becoming a fitness instructor from going to this athletic person that had the body that you see in magazines and everything and to not having that body having to accept some curves and some wobbliness has been hard um I don't live up to the expectations of that and then seeing it everywhere and looking at it and thinking I don't I don't meet that expectation is he going to find me attractive and I've started to realize just how big of an issue it is on a wild on a wide scale and how much how much have I been fed all these years as a girl mm -hmm. like what I need to look like how I need to dress what do I need to do so that's been hard that level of um generational trauma society trauma my own sexual abuse trauma is hard to to sit with and process um changing my sexual sobriety what do I want what works for me what feels good um and sometimes it's been a bit messy and gone into a trauma response and not known it but leaving thinking i feel really ashamed what's the matter with me mm -hmm. and then looking back and thinking well i pushed through a flashback and i i wish i hadn't of and that's been really hard because um because i'm prosecuting i'm not able to unpack any of this sexual stuff with a professional at the moment because it could impact on the the prosecution the, the prosecuting process right so i'm having to kind of do this with you um myself and my partner and some friends that i can really trust but it's yeah it's hard mm -hmm. and it's working it's and it's like working it's, it's not like it's not working it is right. and it right. is it's incredibly healing right. um, the best thing about the relationship is the hugs i get the big hugs and i get to really sob it out which i've never had yeah. which is amazing yeah yeah and so like yeah it's hard and you're mm -hmm. doing it right yeah one of the things i love about and i think i heard this on the thanks for sharing podcast um is just this comment of like so many of the wounds that we've experienced in mm -hmm. our lives and that we carry around with us happened in relationship right like our relationship with our parents our relationship with siblings our other relationships mm -hmm. and so like when we pull out of relationships and we work on ourselves mm -hmm. we can we can heal a lot mm -hmm. but because of those relationships uh, because our trauma happened in a relationship it's not in, like the next level of healing has to happen in a relationship yeah right? and i remember you telling me this <laughs> i'm really thinking whatever <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. This is not going to happen. And so when I got into the relationship and the first set of conflict came up, I was like, oh no. Um, 
Yeah, and I mean, I'd done so much work, especially in that rocking relationships and recovery. I thought I was going to nail it, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, an A all the way in my... But no, it's not been like that. And I didn't in- expect the level of trauma that would come out in getting into a relationship. I didn't mm-hmm. expect... Um, my biggest fear in the relationship or getting into a relationship before that was, am I going to pick the same emotionally unavailable guy? Um, and that's not been the problem. The issue has been the level of stuff that I just didn't know because I hadn't been in a relationship that was mm. going to come up. Right. Because you're not in a relationship like some of those behaviors that you need to change <laughs> never appear. Yes. They right? Don't. They, don't, they just don't show up. because Because yeah. you're not in that close. Right. Like with a friend, I can have that interaction. When it gets too much, I just go home. Right. And then, like, we don't call for a week and that's, that's just and that's how friendships fine. are. In a relationship. Doesn't work. No, that's not acceptable. You've got to keep showing up. Mm-hmm. And you can't hide as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have a successful relationship, one thing I've really learned is you've got to go back in and ask for what you want. You've got to be vulnerable. You've got to be honest. When you did this, it made me feel like this. And I'd had a certain level of practice from group therapy, but I right. wasn't as invested in those people as I am in, in this. my relationship. So having to have those conversations has been tough. Mm-hmm. And they still go on. And you're rocking it. Yeah. And when they go on and they co- you come out of it and you're not in there that long or you both... Like when you have that breakthrough moment of, wow, we've come to an agreement. It, it's like, it's again, it's like the heavens have opened and gone, ah. Right. It's like the most amazing feeling. Like I could run forever feeling. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it all worth it. It's that true connection. Yeah. It's, oh, it's. Yeah, it's like a soul level. Mm-hmm. I see you, you see me. It's it's the beauty of living, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love watching you talk about Chris. Because <laughs> you just, like, glow and you just, like, <laughs> have this huge grin on your face. I do. I was sitting here grinning and laughing. I, I feel was like say, a... your cheeks probably hurt right yeah, now. Yeah, they are. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just, I just feel so blessed to get to experience this. Like, me as an adult, I love it. And when I think of that young girl, oh, she'd be skipping now, that young girl in me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked hard and it feels really good to have that support. Being, like being in a relationship, having somebody, like the the payoffs of a relationship, I never thought it would be like this. Having support, someone who listens to me, someone who validates me, life is already a heap easier. Um, yeah, so I'm grinning. <laughs> awesome (laughs) thank you no you're welcome thank you for sharing so much of your own story so Mm -hmm. much of your experiences Mm -hmm. with us and with all of the women and men listening yeah i really appreciate your willingness to share so Mm -hmm. much thank you for having me and like every time i get to speak my story even just today i realized just in speaking it that there's not that level of shame anymore there's Mm -hmm. sort of that yeah, that was my an acceptance. That was my past. It's not my future, mm-hmm. and I honor that girl in me. Mm-hmm. Like her choices, they're not choices I make now, but she did the best that she could, mm-hmm. given everything that she had, and she was just trying to survive. And like knowing that the podcast is going out, and anybody could hear it and know who I am, I now get a sense of, yeah, that's me, and I'm still going, yeah, and I'm still alive, and I'm rocking it, and I love it, yeah. Uh, yeah and your life is great it is really great yeah 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 awesome any messages any thoughts final wisdom that you want to leave for our listeners today um well just if there's anything that you've heard in my story that you resonate with or you even think that you might need some help check the show notes and grab the the places that you can go to for free especially if you're in the uk you know, really take um, full advantage of it because it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And But the second thing I would say is even if you go and you try and you get knocked down, just keep trying. Like, that, you will find somebody. Um, and if you feel it, you're going somewhere and you think, this is just not working for me, like, and you get knocked down or you get told it's you, it's the problem, go somewhere else. You will find help. Um, it is definitely out there. Mm-hmm. Just keep... just keep picking up your stuff and keep marching yeah 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 i've seen that in you in the years we've been working like Mm -hmm. there are 
You've been knocked down several times. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a song. I get knocked down, but I get up again. I should make right. that my anthem. <laughs> I get knocked down, but I, I remember that song. Now. You ain't ever going to keep me down. Yeah, that's right. That's right. For real. That should be like your theme song. We should like play that song. Maybe I'll, I'll play that song on our podcast, right? Yeah. yeah for sure. Yeah. For so, sure. But that's what I would say anyone. Like, you get one shot here. Let's do the best you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't say enough about how grateful I am for Natalie and her willingness to share her story and her experiences with us. I know this was a lengthy interview and I hope that you got something out of it, something about your own recovery that you can kind of fall into place a little bit better or put into place a little bit better. I know that when I hear the story of another woman and her experiences in addiction and in recovery and in trauma, there's a little piece of me that falls into place a little bit more. There's a little piece of me that heals a little bit more as I understand more the plight of the women, of women in the world and what they experience. And every time I share my story, I feel the same way, that there's a little piece of me that heals a little bit further. And I am so grateful for Natalie and for her willingness to share so much of herself with us. There are extensive show notes in today's episode just about resources available in the UK. If you are in that area, um, there are great links in there available for resources for you to be able to access, to be able to get on your healing path. And again, I'm just so grateful for all of you out there and for the amazing things that you go through in order to find recovery and in order to heal and in order to get back to living a beautiful life that you want to live with beautiful partners and amazing children and all sorts of really great things in the world. I just want you to know as well that whatever is going on for you today, wherever you're at, whatever is happening, however fall however low you feel like you have fallen, that you are worth recovery 100%. It might take some starts and you might do the Tarzan method for a while in and out and in and out. But eventually you will land on a, on a way that will help you to recover. And I know that you're worth it. 100% worth it. I know that. And if you don't, you can rely on my knowledge until you do. Please know that I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.